Well, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church again. I'm just so glad to be having this opportunity to speak with you this morning. I got to tell you, I love that bumper. I think it captures some of the holiday moments so clearly and, and cleanly for us. Uh, but whether you're watching at home in Versailles or somewhere else in the country, or you know, for those of you who are here, just thank you for joining us as we continue on in this series, Joy to the World. Like Tony talked about, today we're going to be talking about how to have joy even when we feel stressed. And I think we couldn't be in a more perfect moment for us to examine this. We've had a year unlike any other. 2020, we've experienced the ground just shifting underneath our feet. And as we move into the holidays, a generally stressful time, we're experiencing stress in new ways as we learn to be socially distanced at the holidays. I know uh, many people found themselves creating not just one dish for Thanksgiving, but an entire Thanksgiving meal a few weeks ago. My wife was actually one of those people. We weren't able to get together with her uh, family that's down here, and we ended up having to have her create the entire meal. And I tried to help as much as I could, but I'm useless in the kitchen. So you don't even want me to start helping out when it comes to baking pies or doing you know, a turkey or anything like that. So I was very grateful for all the time that she spent. It was multiple days in the kitchen working for us to have about eight minutes of quality family time around the dinner table. I don't know if you have kids that are my age, but uh, if you do, you know what I'm talking about. It's just incredible to think about the amount of time we spend on something like that and then to have it just kind of evaporate before our very eyes. But, uh, you know, we're getting ready to do something like that again in just a couple weeks. So uh, there's the stress of that whole meal coming around, but hopefully it's round two and it'll be a little easier for some of us who are taking it on on our own. Um, but on top of that, we also have to shop for the holidays. And, and Amazon doesn't have everything. You know, it has most things. But, you know, some of us are having to try to navigate crowds now with a pandemic that's out and around and all the stress that goes into that. But, you know, there's others of us who are struggling to even just find the resources to be able to buy gifts for the ones that we love and to be able to go ahead and provide a nice meal for our families. So whether it's a negative stress that we're experiencing uh, you know, or possibly even a positive stress, you know, we are all undergoing stress right now. In fact, I want to talk about some positive stresses because a lot of times we, we don't think about those, but they have a similar effect on us. One of the things that happened to us this year, if you don't, if you don't know, we had a, our third child uh, that we welcomed into this world on July 4th, our freedom baby, little Avery Shea Prout, that's her up there with me, and uh, we are just in love with this little person and so grateful that she's here. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that moving from two to three isn't difficult. Being on zone defense, not man-on-man -man anymore, is uh, a challenge, to say the least. But we're grateful that Boston and Micah are older and that Micah can kind of hang out on his own if he needs to, and Boston has been a huge help. But, you know, no matter how much stress would be required for me to be able to have this little girl in my life, I would go through it. She's worth every single ounce of it. But I'd be a fool to go ahead and not recognize the fact that it has an effect on my life. Another thing that I went through this year, uh, that I celebrated getting done with, was that I was able to finish my master's degree from Asbury Seminary. <laughs> Thank you. It feels really good. It feels better after you clap for it, but honestly, it feels great. Um, and I got to tell you, when I was in my undergrad and studying for tests and exams and working on group projects, I thought it was hard. But I had no idea how much more difficult it would be when I added a toddler at my feet and a baby that was hungry or everything else that I had to deal with when it came to going back to school again for my master's. 
You know, these things were incredible, life-changing experiences where I grew, I found out more about God and more about myself, and I wouldn't trade them for the world, but it was a very stressful time, and I had to be intentional about how I made my way through them, because the toll is real on us emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You see, when we encounter stress in our life, we all have about three reactions. We have the reaction that we might fly from it, we might run away, we might uh, fight it in our life, or we might stop and be paralyzed in fright. And the truth is, you know, none of those reactions are really going to be sufficient for us. If we allow ourselves to freeze and spiral down into isolation and panic attacks, we're not going to be in a good place as a person. The same way, if we go ahead and fly from it, you know, we know people who will move states if they have to to avoid uh, a, a stressful situation or an awkward relationship, you know. But we want to go ahead and 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 not be able to just have ourselves uprooted because of a stress that's in our life. We want to overcome those things, and we do have people who fight after the stress in their life, and they can have success with that, with self-help or with you know just coming and giving sheer will to whatever situation, to overcome that stress. But there's a cost that's involved in that, right? And those person, people are kind of acting as their own personal savior in a lot of ways. As believers, we have a fourth option for us. We have a savior in Jesus. And we can turn over to him those stresses that we face as we respond to them with faith. And it's when we go ahead and allow God's, God's way, God's power, God's strength to enter into our situation that we can really deal with stress in an appropriate way. And Paul talks about how we can do that as well in chapter 3 of Philippians, the book that we're studying right now. And he's, what he starts to do in the end of chapter 3, where we're going to pick up here in a second, is he tries to pull back and focus on the big picture. He wants to go ahead and give us a perspective that's going to help us overcome the stress that we face in our life. So in Philippians 3.17, it starts, Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Okay, so there's a lot there, but let's unpack it. Let's go back to the beginning. It says, brothers, be imitators. I'm sorry, join in imitating me. And Paul is living this out in his own life. He's not asking us to do something that he's not willing to go ahead and do himself. This isn't a do as I say, not as I do sort of situation. In fact, he goes on and says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it's not just Paul who's doing this, but it's other people in the church, the little Philippian church, that are actually doing this as well. So he's saying, look to those people who are doing things the right way. You know, when we encounter stress... I think it's interesting. We start to look at the people that are around us in some ways, don't we? We start to think, well, how are they reacting to stress? If we have a high opinion of that person, we'd like to compare ourselves and try to be like them. If we have a low opinion of that person, we'd like to go ahead and justify ourselves that we're not like that person. But Paul here is talking about imitating him, so we're going to stay in that place. It's interesting, though, 
that when we talk about those things, when we justify ourselves, we look to others. And I want to encourage you, when you look to someone, is that person going in the right direction? Is that person moving towards Jesus? Because if they're not, and you're imitating the way that they're responding to stress, it's going to have a negative impact on your walk with the Lord. And I also want you to stop and think and say, who's watching me? Who's taking their lead from my response to this stress in my life? It could be a niece or a nephew. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker. Definitely our kids look at us and learn for the good or the, or the bad how we're dealing with things in life. And they make, uh, make, uh, and they make uh, uh, opinion of God based on how we respond to life's difficulties. So just remember, someone's watching you, and they're going to go ahead and look to you when they think about how to deal with things. Next, we see Paul's heart for those who are lost. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, this is a burden that has driven Paul's tears. And I'm, I don't know if I'm expecting anyone of us out here to be crying for someone who is lost. Maybe if they're a family member. But I would ask you just to think for a moment. When was the last time that you were broken over someone who was lost without Christ? You know, it, I think for all of us, it's a time that's a little far further in the history than we would like it to be. And either way, whether it was yesterday or whether it was, you know, a week ago, we're, we're invited by this passage to go ahead and remember those who are suffering without Christ around us. You see, the problem with stress is that it isolates us. It makes the whole world about our issues, the things that are going wrong in our life. But what issue could be greater than someone not having a relationship with Jesus, not being close to the Savior, living without hope and life and joy? So don't allow stress to keep you from cultivating a heart that's the same as God's heart that breaks for the lost. Paul goes on to say, their destruction is their, uh, that the end is, their end is destruction, excuse me. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. So what he's talking about is the mindset of those people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And what he's talking about is, is that when you're not a believer, you desire, just you want to do what you desire. That's how you live. You live basically with your God as your belly. It's what you want, you do. And it's only because you don't know Jesus. You know, when you don't know Jesus, you're left with a void of purpose in your life. And we'll fill that with whatever we can find. Whatever scratches our itch, uh, whether it tears our life apart in the end or not. It could be, you know, drugs. It could be unhealthy ambition at work. It could be, you know, the misuse of, of love and affection in our lives. Those things can all be turned into a place where we are, are ultimately just leaving ourselves empty. So what does Paul mean when he goes on to say they glory in their shame? I think what Paul's talking about is that person that comes into work on Monday morning and talks about how high they were or talks about you know, how they missed out on their kid's birthday party but they got so much work done. You know, Something in that person's life is keeping them from seeing Jesus and what he has to offer them. And all they have is what culture says and what culture rewards. And we know that those things are going to be the, the leading us to destruction instead of life in Christ. But this is where our testimony comes from for so many of us, don't you think? 
I know for me, and when I didn't have the perspective that God had for us, when Jesus wasn't a part of my life, that was a time when I was losing track of who God was and what he was doing in us. But, you know, Jesus comes into our life. He changes us. He saves us. He brings us a, a peace and a life that's everlasting and a new heavenly perspective. And this is what Paul talks about next. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As believers, Paul's reminding us that our citizenship is not in this earth. Amen? Amen. We have a heavenly citizenship, don't we? And our lives need to reflect that citizenship. Our identity should be fixed in that. We should live differently, right? We're not supposed to live like the world lives. We're supposed to live now as God calls us to live, a part of his kingdom. And so we don't do money the same way the world does money. We don't do love the same way the world does love. We don't do identity the same way the world does identity. We trust in the Lord and what he has for us, not in what culture says. And in, Paul is really putting out a clear choice for all of us in the midst of this. Are we going to choose to live heaven down or are we going to choose to live hell up? If we choose to live hell up, we're going to live in the world's ways and we're going to find destruction and chaos in our life. But if we choose to live heaven down, then we're going to find hope and peace in Christ. And we're going to find a fulfillment that we can't touch anywhere else. You know, there's a saying out there that I've heard, and I'm sure many of you have heard it as well. It's often used in arguments with people. I want to be on the right side of history. You know, and it's a great saying, and it's an awesome thing to go ahead and have perspective in that way. But I think what Paul's trying to do in this chapter is pull us back to even greater perspective. And I think he's challenging us to not only live on the right side of history, but live on the right side of eternity as well. And so I want to encourage you with what I feel like is a perfect model of a person who is living on the right side of eternity. In Micah 6, 8, it says, This is what the Lord, he, the Lord, requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In each moment, we're given a choice. Are we going to do what's right? Are we going to love mercy and express Jesus' love to those people that are around us? Are we going to walk humbly with God, practicing his presence in our life as we go? This is our choice. Are we going to be hell up and live as enemies of Jesus? Are we going to live as hell? Uh, are we going to live heaven down and follow after Jesus until we see him? But how do we deal with the pressures of living heaven down in this hellish world? Well, Paul says that when you feel stressed, the thing that you need to do is find joy. In Philippians 4, 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you are having a hard time tracking with Paul completely in this moment? He says rejoice in all things. Always. Really? 
So that's what we're supposed to do. I think he knows we're going to have a hard time because he says it twice. The reality is when life is coming at us and we're feeling the effects of stress, fear, worry, and anxiety, we can feel an incredible weight that will make us feel like we're disqualified from this command that Paul's giving us. But nothing could be further from the truth. It's in those moments that it's all the more important for us to press into what God has for us and to rejoice in the Lord. We need to look to uh, uh, look outside of our situation and be able to pursue joy in God and him alone. You know, God created us to find joy in him. That's how he created us to live in harmony with him, to know him and be known by him. In Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's in the Lord that we find real joy, a lasting joy that will endure no matter what this world is throwing at. Nothing, uh, anything this world throws at us, excuse me. Now, for many of us who are experiencing real loss and real sorrow right now, and I know our community has been rocked by things recently, this can feel trite. This can feel flippant in some ways. But I want to remind you that Paul, who's writing this, is not going through a good situation either. He's in a horrible place. And the easiest thing he could do would be to give into uh, his suffering. It was real. He was guarded by a, a, a prisoner in Rome and, and being uh, possibly executed for his faith. But the reality is, this joy that we seek in God can be ours Don't believe the lies that Satan has for you. Don't let Satan talk you out of the life raft that God's provided. From the very beginning in our faith, we have a testimony to the joy that can be had in Christ, no matter life situations. Whether it was Christians in the Colosseum who were being consumed by animals and still praising God, or whether it's brothers and sisters in the Middle East who forsake their homes and families and everything to follow after and find joy in Christ. We have a testimony that God's joy is greater than anything this world can throw at you. Can I hear an amen about that? Honestly, I mean, to know that death itself cannot go ahead and keep God's joy from being alive in our lives is such a comfort. Remember, this isn't me saying this. This is Paul saying this, the one who is in prison, the one who is awaiting possible execution. And he accesses the joy of the Lord and lives it out. But Oftentimes, when we look at Paul, we see a father in the faith, some untouchable person that we could never live up to, and we feel like our capacity for joy has broken underneath us. But I want to let you know that you don't have to be Paul to experience joy like he did. You can press into the Lord, and as you pursue him, you will have your joy made full as well. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. You see, sometimes we have to pursue what's ours. You know, think of it like this. Um, You have a student who's naturally gifted in a sport. You know that he's good at this sport. You know that he's doing an excellent job with it. Uh, But, or at least has the potential to do an excellent job with it. But for him to benefit from that skill, that innate skill that he has, he has to go ahead and train. 
He has to be disciplined. He has to commit himself to what his coach is telling him. And he has to continue to do that on a regular basis. We have been given as believers unlimited joy in Jesus. But we have to pursue it. You hear me about that? We have to pursue it. We have to press into what God has for us. Because although we want God to take us around hardship, and that's what all of our hearts would be, is to say, God, please don't let us go through this. Don't let my family get sick. Don't let myself lose this job. Don't let us not have the resources we need at Christmas this year. Sometimes the reality is that God doesn't take us around the hardships we face. He takes us through them. And it takes strength to make it through them. But we know where our strength comes from. In Nehemiah 8.10 it says, as I find it, <laughs> Nehemiah 8.10 says, Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, we need to make sure that we enter into the spiritual disciplines of prayer and reading our Bibles daily and being accountable with other believers so that we can access the joy that God has for us, that he's already given us in Jesus. When we do that, we're going to be able to see ourselves experience a joy and peace that this world can't touch, that it can't pull away, no matter the stress that we face. And it's normal to feel stress in our lives. You know, when we're going through a hardship, it's easy for us to go ahead and get overwhelmed and feel anxiety and worry. But as citizens of heaven, our birthright is to have an everlasting joy in our Savior, Jesus. Stress will constantly seek to take over our lives, but if we can really live in God's joy, there's no way that it will be able to touch us. Now, this passage that we've been talking about, it's one that I probably want to wager most of us have memorized. Have, have most of us out here heard this before? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I can take a hand or two. Anyone? All right. All right, cool. Great. Thanks. Um, so we know this verse, but experiencing this verse is another thing. Far more believers have read it than have actually walked in it. And if we've walked in it, sometimes we forget to walk in it again. And so what I want to challenge us to is some things here that I believe are going to help us walk in this joy. To not leave the joy that God's given us on the table in Jesus, but to take that and apply it to our lives and make it a part of what we're doing. So the first thing that I want to encourage us to do is to make every day Thanksgiving. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always with thanksgiving. Now, this is a daily process, something that we should probably be doing in the midst of our prayer time or at the end of our reading time or something around there, but find things with you and the Lord that you can be thanking him for, that you can go ahead and be lifting up to him. Because we all know that the way our minds work, when something bad happens to us, it has a much greater effect than something good. But there isn't, just because there's a greater effect of that bad thing doesn't mean that there's more bad things in our life, actually. So what we do when we remember those things with the Lord and we give him praise and we, we thank him for them is we start to create an armor on our lives that protects us from the effects of stress and keeps us in a place where we can have joy. It cultivates an attitude of thanksgiving and it helps us be joyful people. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is make your will your rudder. And Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. But what does he mean? Well, I think what Paul is saying is that we're so secure in who Jesus is and in what he has for us and our identity in him that life's struggles, even though we go through them, 
they don't go ahead and pull us off course. Imagine that your life is a boat, you know, and the sail of that boat are your emotions. And now think of the rudder of that boat as your mind or will. If you go through life and you hit a crisis or a hardship, and all of a sudden you find your emotional sails just filled, and you don't have your rudder engaged on that boat, you're going to be heading towards capsizing, crashing, or just running far off course. The reality is we have to, as believers, find a way that we can keep our, our minds and wills engaged with the emotions that we face in life so that we don't veer off course. We can experience life instead of destruction. And the truth is, you know, it, it can be hard for us sometimes to just do both of those things at the same time. We all just say, okay, I'm not going to feel anything now because I can't deal with these feelings that I have but that's going to wall you off from the people that are around you. It's going to go ahead and leave you uh, in a place where you're just stuffing things in, in an unhealthy way. And the other thing would maybe be to just be, I'm going to only give in to my emotions. You know, we can't live that way either because we're going to become irrational and, and unreasonable. So when we unify those two things, our passion, our emotions, and our mind and our will, we can start to see ourselves make wise, faith-filled decisions that will take us out of life storms and into God's safe harbor. The third thing is, when you start to panic, stop to pray. And I know many of us feel like we don't have time to pray sometimes. You know, life's busy in a stressful situation. You don't want to take the moment to stop. You feel like you have to put something together. But the reality is, nothing could be further from the truth. Our prayers have a huge impact in what's happening around us. And a lot of times the things that we're doing are more just activity than they are actual accomplishment. So I want to challenge you to stop and pray when you go ahead and feel stress. Paul makes it clear that it's by prayer and supplication, asking God for things, that we step into the reality of rejoicing in the Lord in all of life's circumstances. Remember that this Lord that we're talking about is the Lord Jesus, the one who came down from heaven and entered into our broken world to be near us, to know us, and yet remained sinless and lived a perfect life among us. He knows what it's like to have people mock him, betray him, to desert him. His very disciples couldn't stay awake with him in the garden as he began to realize what was about to unfold, how he was going to have to walk through an incredible hardship. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, He who knew no sin became sin. He did that for you, for me. He chose to live heaven down instead of hell up and accepted what God had for him. And more importantly, he understands what we face as well. Remember the fact that Jesus understands and he gets what you're going through and he's ready to get down into it with you. As a believer in Jesus, you are never alone when you face hardship in your life. The fourth thing, when you fear what you don't want, Figure out what you do want. We all have a natural fear of losing what we love and gaining what we hate. You know, this is something that happens for us easily because we have huge decisions in life that echo through generations. And that's a huge stress in our life as well, too. So often, we can clearly discern what God's will for us is in a decision from Scripture. We can read it and understand it. And we can follow that guidance that God has for us. But in other times... There isn't a clear yes or no that God has for us. It's just a gray area that we're trying to perceive where God's will is. This can be a lot of anxiety for us as believers when we aren't sure about what we should do next. But I want to encourage you in one thing. As parents, 
you like seeing how your kids respond to a situation. You like seeing them respond to that situation in a way that honors God. And sometimes you put them in those situations so that they can respond in a certain way. And I want you to think about something. When we get to a place where we feel like we found a gray area in life, but we know and we're in the word and we're following after God and we're seeking for his direction, this may be a point where God isn't speaking, but listening, listening to your actions and what you're going to do next. You know, the same way that we feel a joy in our own heart when we see our kids respond in a way that glorifies God, I believe God feels joy when he sees us respond in a way that glorifies him. You know, God calls us in this very passage to let our requests be made known to him, to seek him for what we want. So when you figure out what you don't want and it's causing stress in your life, turn around and ask God for what you do want. And let this be a moment for you to examine your heart and really weigh what you're asking for to see if it's worthy of going to God and asking him for it. The fifth thing I want to share with you, the final thing, is to remove the spirit of fear by remembering the presence of God. Paul says in this passage, the Lord is at hand. That means that God is here with you. One of the biggest commands that we see in Scripture all throughout it is an invitation for us to fear not. God says this to us because we have a problem as human beings. We forget his presence and we begin to be afraid when we run into difficulties and troubles. But we want to go ahead and read and remember some truth here in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, anxiety comes from a demonic spirit that tells us that God's not present with us when we're going through hardship. So what we need to do is we need to remember the love of God and remember his spirit in our lives and allow his spirit to cast out the spirit of fear that we're facing. This is what Jesus did in the garden. When he was feeling the fear and the weight of what he was about to have to go through, he went ahead and prayed. He said, Father, please, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he also went ahead and trusted God and chose to accept what he would do when he said, not my will, but your will be done. You see, as believers, we're not to be defined by our fear. We're to be defined by our faith. And people of faith run to God, not from their problems. And when we run to God, we find that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I guess the one thing I want to leave us with is that we need to step into Jesus' example and live heaven down, not culture up. When we run into a stress in our lives, we need to trust that God is working in the midst of our situation and invite him in, make him a part of the equation because it's not a part of the equation when we live the way that culture tells us to live. But as believers, we know that Jesus is a part of our lives, amen? That he's an active force in what we're going through. And we can trust that he is working something out. And when we do that, we won't just have a personal joy in our own life, but we'll also be a beautiful invitation to a world that needs him desperately. That they can find joy and peace and hope in Jesus. You know, Paul is pulling all of this truth from Jesus' life, from how he dealt with these situations. So let's not be like people who are stressed out, who don't know God, who are driven, you know, to, uh, by crisis, running from instead of running to him. 
Let's go ahead and treat our bodies the way that he wants us to treat our bodies. Let's go ahead and be people who are processing these things through his power and experience a peace that passes all understanding. A crazy peace that only comes from God. Let's pursue joy in the Lord. Don't just read about it. Seek after it with all that you have until you find it and can make it part of your life. And then let your life serve as a testimony to his power and presence in the midst of our crazy, stressful world. Let's be a city on the hill pointing to something greater than ourselves.